My name's Brian, and today is Thursday, June 15th, 2023, and this is episode 434 of the Lots Project podcast, a daily look inside our journey to live outside the systems of control, and it's another lots to talk about, and my guest tonight is an author and speaker and business advisor, and uh, as an author and a speaker, his work focuses primarily on personal development and spiritual maturation. His humanitarian and environmental values were shaped by the landscape of Minnesota during his youth. Then a single mystical experience transformed his life at age 24. A decade of spiritual immersion, substance abuse recovery, and self-discovery followed, revealing a fundamental truth. Reviving ourselves is the only path to reviving the planet. I would like to welcome to lots to talk about Ian Williams. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I was rolling through profiles on Podmatch and yours popped up and I read that first paragraph in your story and I was like, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Um, I've kind of followed a uh, progression into nature and have found a lot of value in a lot of things in my life through it and seeing that that was a path that you took it was it was something i wanted to bring on and talk to you about so um could you introduce yourself i know i kind of throw it out there with a little biography before but um say hello and uh, and kind of maybe elevator pitch who you are and then we'll talk about uh, how you got to where you're at yeah absolutely um ian williams hello everyone welcome welcome thanks for being here uh, and thanks for listening after the fact we are uh i think cut from the same cloth in the sense of, you know, I spent a lot of time outdoors growing up, had a very stable childhood. Um, adolescence and early adulthood was, was defined by substance use and abuse, as you read in the bio, uh, which fortunately, eventually led to a mystical experience that really changed the trajectory of my life. And as I started to get serious about my health, my well-being, my recovery process, nature was kind of experiencing a resurgence in my life, you could say. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons from there. That led to a long healing journey, um, which not only included nature, but a deep dive down some of the Eastern energy arts and, and spiritual philosophies from the East, uh, which we could certainly dive deeper into. Yeah. Spent 10 years in education. Um, I've educated in various formats and various ages, like two to 78 inside, outside. Um, nature-based, educational. I've, I've just been all over. Um, but in the last couple of years, I actually made a pivot. So I went back to school, studied leadership strategy and organizational culture. Now I work as an organizational consultant, um, helping mission-driven organizations scale culture and capacity. So what I mean by that is just helping them not only build capacity from a business sense, but also grow healthier cultures so that those people can be more effective agents of change. Um, and then in February of this year, so just a couple months ago, I released my first book entitled Soil and Spirit. Okay. So author, speaker. On, uh, on publishing. That's, that's cool, man. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, Soil and Spirit, I mean, that kind of goes in line with kind of the biography that, uh, that you just kind of laid out. Um, it kind of all makes sense to me. But I kind of want to go back to um, how you got there. And 
you kind of said stable childhood, like typical suburb, you know, like high school and, and doing the normal thing, the, the typical uh, American dream kid thing. And uh, is that kind of how it was at, you know? We, uh, we were a family of four. Um, and I lived growing up in the same house from the age of two until, till I moved out of my parents' house. You know, I jokingly say we, we had everything except the, uh, the white picket fence. Um, we were a dog family. We, I mean, it was a very privileged childhood. Um, we weren't, you know, super wealthy, but we were, um, solidly in the middle class and we experienced all the benefits that, you know, uh, many white identifying families do. And as a white identifying male, that certainly had an impact on my childhood. And I think that's actually part of the reason why um, I started using drugs and alcohol at the age of 13, because my life was so stable that I just wanted to create some chaos. Um, and, you know, I think that's part of it, certainly not all of it. Like I had underlying depression and anxiety. And so I was definitely self-medicating in a sense as well. But there was part of me that was just wanting to experience something different, you know, and um, my mom is a, is a great lover of the outdoors. And so we spent a fair amount of time outside as kids, whether it was hiking or camping or, you know, horseback riding, which we did like basically once a year uh, for 4th of July. That was like a random family tradition for us. Yeah, um, yeah. Everybody has them. I, I found that even in Minnesota, it, it uh, was more uh, prevalent. Like, I, I, I noticed it a little bit growing up because I grew up in Western New York and moved to Minnesota in uh, when I was 20, 24. And then I moved out of Minnesota when I was 45. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of breaking it up now. But uh, when I moved there, I noticed that there was there were those those little family things and they they weren't always around a holiday. Like there I would talk to people and they'd be like, oh, yeah, we go do this thing on on uh, on May 29th. I was like, is that Memorial Day? No, no, we just do it on the 29th. I'm like, why don't you do it on Memorial Day? Because well, we just started it on Memorial Day, but we just kept doing it on the 29th. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. It's a, she owned a horse growing up. So there's a soft spot for her. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. She owned it for a couple of years. And, you know, it, to, to fast forward a little bit, and there's a lot more context, which we could dive into if we want. But um as I got serious about my recovery after 12 years of, you know, addiction um, and substance use, like I said, I just, nature kind of was this, there was this resurgence of the presence of nature in my life. And it was one place that I would retreat to for respite. And so I spent a lot of time outside uh, specifically during those couple of years. I mean, I still do, but in those couple of years, it was, it was a place that I could go and feel accepted, you know, even if it was just by the landscape around me, because I was struggling with self-acceptance and I was definitely dealing with some identity crisis stuff in terms of like, who am I and how do I show up in the world? As I think most, you know, young adults who are coming of age do, but that all is, you know, no pun intended, kind of the underbelly or the, the underground framework of the book, Soil and Spirit. Right. And so the, the book is really about the relationship between personal identity, discovery and responsibility and nature. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the climate crisis that we find ourselves in and our personal and collective responsibility to uh, address it in the most effective way possible, I guess, is the way that I might say it. Okay, I got you. I, I think it, I spend a lot of time, I went through a bunch of, um, 
I don't think it was necessarily. I've I've driv, drilled down to figure out that it was less of an addiction and it was more of a compensating for stuff going on in my life that I wasn't understanding. Uh, once I once I dove and figured out why I was doing the things I was doing, I realized it wasn't because I was addicted to something. It was because I was masking other things. So I don't I don't necessarily look at it as recovery. But after I after I've made these realizations and it's and it's it was unrelated, I've started spending time in nature. And the more I do and the more I connect with it, the more I see patterns of um, I relate patterns to my life and my um, and the things that I can do to better myself. I can see them happening in nature and I connect with them more the more I'm there. Um, and I think that goes in line with your self-discovery and, and being accepted there. I think it's, it might be more of uh, realizing that we're the same as nature if we just strip down to that. 100%. I mean, that was the big takeaway, the big realization at that time in my life was that that natural law of interconnectedness, you know, um, and it was a place where I started to really, I, I, sometimes the way that I say it is, it was a place where I started to identify the difference between a fact and truth. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, being out in nature and discovering some of those truths, right? Like diversity is what creates resilience. Change is constant. Interdependence or interconnectedness. Having that awareness start to enter my life started to help me with the identity piece, right? Um, in terms of who am I, how do I fit in? Not necessarily that I'm like trying to fit into any one specific group or culture, but rather like, what is my place in this world? And I think in order to be able to start to answer or, or experiment with an answer to that type of question, we need to have an understanding of the world around us to see where we fit into it. And so, yeah, I yeah. definitely think that there's, there's a, like you said, that we're a part of it, right? We're not separate from it. And that's it. That's not only a fact, but it's also a truth. Yeah. And I, I think, I think we, we all try, like, I think recently in recently, so I'm 45. So I would say in the last 20 to 30 years, there's been a lot of, um, I want to say people need to be unique and and have their own quote unquote identity. Um, and I think it's been pushed in certain ways. And I think if you circle back to nature, though, we all are unique. But we're all the same. But we all have our if we're not there in the system, it's lacking. You know, we're all very similar, but we all have that one unique part role we play um i think we've gone to a to a a, a thinking in in our in our day-to-day -day lives that we all are super unique and we're all different and it's it's um yeah i don't know i don't know i in your in your in your profession you you help cult build culture and in, in businesses and do you do it as a cohesive functioning we're together or are you are you individualizing people i'm just i just an aside it's just something i noticed in in what we were saying mm -hmm. the the rugged individualism piece you know i think we need to acknowledge that it's born out of western culture 
And by that, I also mean, you know, predominantly white patriarchal culture. Um, there have been and continue to be indigenous communities all over the globe that, you know, still preach and, and understand that interconnectedness, right? We are with nature. We are not separate from it in any way. And so to have a conversation around identity, right? We need to understand that it exists within the context of our surroundings. So one thing to just kind of put, maybe put a bow on that or a pin on that. Um, you asked about, you know, the work that, that we do with organizations though. It's 100% it's integrative process. Um, and it's also one that is human centered in the sense of we're going into these organizations to learn about them. And through that discovery process, we help to build and facilitate custom solutions for the people in that organization according to their interests and desires. Okay. So, you know, wh where we're different from your kind of standard consulting firm that's focused on employee well being or organizational culture, we're not coming in to sell any one specific prescription. We're not dogmatic, you know, we're not industry specific, we're process facilitators. And what differentiates us is that we can come into an organization and facilitate that discovery process to uncover key insights. And then we use those key insights to design custom programming. So it's really, you know, this notion of like, of the people, by the people, for the people. Um, because I think it's, it's a, it's naive to think that you can walk into any setting that isn't a place that you would claim as native and suggest that you know how to make it better. Right. And in some ways you could blow that up and say, that's what we as the human species have done, right? right. We've claimed eminent domain over the entire planet. And we say, well, we can do nature better. Right. Well, clearly right. we're not. Right. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha for sure. So you had an experience. I, I just, that kind of just took me down a path when you, when you mentioned something about um, individualism and, and I, I don't know where I went with it, but anyway, you had an experience and you call it, called it a mystical experience. Do you mind sharing um, what all kind of went around with that and what was going on in your life? Yeah, I don't mind at all. Wouldn't have put it in the bio if I did. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I kind of <laughs> figure, but it, you always kind of have to ask because I've, I've had people be like, well, I'm like, dude, that was. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I'm happy to share. So to kind of rewind the clock, give a little bit of context. This is, so I started using drugs and alcohol around the age of 13. And that pretty much defined my adolescence. It was one of the things that contributed to it for sure. Sophomore year of college, uh, I was living with some buddies and we inherited a dog to make a long story short. And I was just subletting a room for the summer and um, ended up kind of being one of the primary caretakers for the dog. And so when our lease was up at the end of the summer, before the school year started, we had this question as a group discussion, right? House meeting type of thing, like who's going to take the dog? Um, so I ended up taking her and I moved back home with my parents who reluctantly said yes. Um, even though we were a dog family growing up, we had zero experience with, you know, pit bulls. Um, she was a little American Staffordshire Terrier and the whole bully breed thing was, you know, it was, it was a it was a topic of discussion and, and they were pretty uncomfortable with it, but they reluctantly said yes. And so I had that dog for about six years. Um, and she was 
the light of my life and she was an intense being. And she also was the catalyst for a lot of stress in my life because she wasn't the healthiest of animals. So it was kind of a regular occurrence dealing with people bites or dog fights or, or what have you. And at the time, my thought process was, you know, I hope I'm hopeful that taking responsibility for this animal will also teach me responsibility. Like I could take responsibility for myself. Um, that ended up not being the case. And so on December 30th of 2013, uh, we were preparing. We had already made the difficult decision, but we, we let her, we let her go. We took her to the vet for the final time. And, um, it was too soon, you know, in the sense that she had not lived a full life. And though we had tried everything within our realm of resources and awareness as a dog family, we just couldn't find a way to make it work. And so, you know, naturally that was pretty challenging again for like a kid who had a pretty stable, um, childhood, didn't really experience a lot of significant trauma, you know, aside from like elderly grandparents passing or that type of thing. That's kind of traditional and normal. Um, couple of days after we took her to the vet, I was laying in bed awake and I was staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night and I heard her kind of nudge the door open and I could feel her presence enter the room and she hopped him on the bed next to me and I could see her and I could hear her, but I noticed that she didn't make an imprint on the mattress and I didn't really think anything of it because, you know, when you own a pet, they're in your life and then when they're not in your life, there's that weird period of transition where it's still abnormal for them to not be in the home. Right. So I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, cool. She's like coming to bed, right? Like, like she did every other night and she curled up next to me, right next to my head. And she let out this sigh and I rolled over and I instantly fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning and I was journaling a lot at that time to just kind of process my emotions and just try and slow down my thought processes, etc. And so as I was writing about it, I was journaling as if it were a dream. And then it wasn't until five, 10 minutes into that writing session where I realized like, holy shit, I was awake when that happened. And I have no way of cataloging that in my head. I have no way of describing it. I have no way of understanding it. And um, it was a good thing I was home alone. I had a, a huge, ugly, cathartic cry. And it was this huge, you know, it was a huge pivot point in my life, it totally changed the trajectory of my life because it just blew the door off the hinges in terms of what is reality, you know? And I walked around for 24 years at that point thinking I knew what reality was. And then I had this experience which totally transformed my understanding of it in a way that left me with a hell of a lot more questions than I had answers. Um, and that was really, that was really probably the first major pivotal moment that started my healing journey because it, it was this catalyst to go try and figure it out, you know, like to go figure out this spirituality thing, to go try and explain this experience that I had, which now I look back was a naive perspective to have at the time, but it's, you know, it's what I had. And, um, but it sent me down a path of pursuing a whole bunch of practices and experiences that gave me the tools to start my, my healing journey. Nice. Nice. So at that point, had you decided, were you already in recovery when, when that happened or was that prior? No. So this is probably a couple of years prior. So 
Um, it was 2013 and I was probably a decade into my use and I was probably still, well, I mean, if I do the math, I was still a year, year and a half, maybe two years away from like total sobriety at that point. Um, the next year I continued to use, um, and started to kind of lay a foundation of health and well-being practices. So I signed up for a marathon. I ran a marathon that year. I continued to journal. Um, I met a new gal and she had a specific diet. So I started making changes to my diet. Uh, I started going to yoga class, which led to Qigong, which led to meditation, which led to martial arts, which led to Tai Chi. Like I just went all in on those Eastern spiritual practices. Um, so there, I was laying this foundation, but that whole year afterwards, I was still using. And then almost a year to the date, um, I had like the final week off of work because I had some PTO that I had to use or lose. And I went home that first night, um, was just talking to my roommate, shifted my weight to my left and my knee buckled, kind of gave out. I was like, well, that, that was painful, but like, whatever, I'll just sleep it off. And I woke up the next morning and I couldn't walk. So that was the first night of my week long vacation, quote unquote. Oh, fun. <laughs> and I had that next week to just sit literally like I had the house mostly to myself. I couldn't do anything. You know, we didn't have cable. Um, I don't, we didn't even have internet in the home. Like there was zero stimuli in that house because we had basically turned it into like a meditation. Uh, like basically our living room was a meditation space. Nice. And so I just had a week to sit there and think and journal and reflect and think about how my life had changed over that year since I had let her go and think about that experience and the impact it had on me. And, and also think about, you know, naturally kind of that new year's cliche, like, what do I want the year ahead to look like? Um, so it was almost like, like I said, almost a year to the date, I woke up December 31st and, uh, and I pulled out my stash and I looked at it and it was almost gone. And I was like, okay. I remember like literally looking up towards the sky and being like, I get it. I got to take my sobriety seriously. And um, so that would have been, that would have been like December 31st of 2014. And then 2015 is really the year that I got serious about my sobriety. Nice, nice. So then did so did you continue down the down the eastern eastern medicine path just on the spirituality side or did you dive more into it whole hog uh, more holistic um, non-western medicine I'd say a bit of both um, you know you mentioned earlier like that you you recognized at some point that you were masking you know I was self-medicating for sure. Uh, and I knew, I always just kind of had this bug up my butt. Like I was just always skeptical of Western medicine. You know, it always felt like symptom reduction as opposed to health promotion. And that never really made sense to me, right? Because I, because I had experienced in my life, like taking away bad things doesn't necessarily automatically equate to experiencing good, Right. you know? like sobriety you take away substances which you could call bad things but it doesn't make your life necessarily like butterflies and rainbows you have to start doing <laughs> no, it, it for a while yeah. <laughs> um 
but it was, it was a bit of both, you know, like I started, I'm not super well read, but like I started reading the Tao Te Ching, you know, I thumbed through the Bhagavad Gita, um, but it was more, it was more the practices themselves that I was really invested in because they were starting to give me tools that I needed in order to be with myself, in order to actually experience my emotions, you know, to be aware of my thought processes, to feel my physical health, to understand how the food that I was putting in my body was impacting me, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I didn't do a ton of reading and I've never been, I've never been super big on, you know, external inputs to maintain my health and well-being. It was more just, you know, developing that, that self-awareness and that capacity to begin to build a relationship with myself that I had been out of touch with for a long, long time. That's, that's something that I, and I was wondering if that's where you said kind of both. And that's, that's where I've kind of landed is doing things. And it isn't necessarily through martial arts or Tai Chi or any of that, but just through the, the mindfulness meditation and, and that, that avenue but being in touch with your body and knowing, really knowing, is there something wrong? Like, I, I feel like you have a sense once once you actually listen to your body and you learn to actually listen to what it's trying to tell you, um, you can avoid a lot of the, the Western medicine symptom. And all that does is make more symptoms that have to be taken away in my experience, every, everything that, that Western medicine has ever done for me has just caused me more things that needed to be done. Yeah. And, and I try and be intentional about not painting with too broad of a brush, you know, like I have family members that are in the medical industry and, you know, I've had countless friends say, you know, my life is exponentially better with my antidepressants or my XYZ medication. Um, you know, everybody's got to, everybody's got to walk their own path and everybody oh, has, has the right to choice. <laughs> and so it's not that I'm, you know, I'm not trying to blackball Western medicine. It was just like this awareness that it's not really, and it, it's the answers that I'm seeking for aren't necessarily there. And that still goes for virtually everything in my life. Right. I mean, after 12 years of looking for answers at the bottom of a bottle, <laughs> there's this awareness that it doesn't matter where you go externally. You're not going to find the answers in substance use. You could, you know, maybe you can put uh, uh, pharmacological medicine in there as well. You're not going to find the answers in media. You're not going to find the answers in other people or relationships. You're not going to find answers in school or education or knowledge. The answers are within the true answers are within. And in order to uncover them, you have to turn inward. And that requires coming to terms with aspects of self that you might not be very fond of, that you may have been avoiding. I know I was. Yeah. And so, you know, to be, to be in a position where, again, like I said, I was able to start to be in relationship with myself through these practices. And it started off in a very... Um, not sure what the right word is, almost like an innocent way. Like, hey, I'm having this sensation when I lay in Shavasana at the end of a yoga class. Or, hey, I just ate this particular food and now my gut feels this particular way. 
Um, and we all have this awareness. It's just a matter of to what extent are we consciously aware of it, yeah. right? Like, I think a, a super simple one is to just talk about food. And it's not even like what food makes you feel good or feel bad. It's just like when you eat a giant meal, do you feel energized or do you feel lethargic? Right. Right. Period. Point blank. And so yeah. we're just having a conversation about experience, right? And that was really the, that was the tipping point for me is, okay, I can, this whole spiritual thing that happened to me with my dog coming to visit me after she passed, I was trying to think about it. And it wasn't until I started practicing those energy arts forms where I was like, oh, this has nothing to do with thought. This has everything to do with experience. And I didn't like, you know, I just didn't have the tools to really experience life. And I certainly didn't have the tools to understand some of the more subtle, the subtleties of the nuances of my own, you know, health and well-being. So those practices started to lay the foundation that allowed me to do that. I, uh, you were saying, seeing those signals and talking about experiences and, and one of the things related to food is, um, that I picked up on and it helped me realize that things, that things do like, there are natural processes, there are natural signals, but we used to make, um, the, sa the salmon for dinner. Um, we were on a, a, one of the diets that we were on and, and one of the meals in, in the recipe book was a salmon dinner. And we, we loved it every time my wife and I, we both loved it. Every time I made it, uh, we just like inhaled it. Uh, couldn't wait to have it again. It was a pain in the ass to make. It was like a potato wrapped salmon. So you had to like, uh, use a mandolin and cut potatoes super thin and like wrap it. And it was, it was horrible to make, but it was fantastic. And then we started reading into the diet and and more of the science behind it. It was talking about the fatty acids and stuff in the salmon. And the reason it tasted so good and you craved it and you wanted it more and you wanted more was because you were deficient in those fatty acids and you were you were tasting it and your body was like, yes, give me more of this. This is what we want. Um, and so I would experience that and then I put, put it together and then I experienced it after I learned the knowledge and I, I matched that together. And then when I started diving down like the sugar rabbit hole and sugar addiction and the feelings that they're mimicking are the natural responses that your body does to a fatty acid that it really needs, it actually needs but they've sugar is, is doing that, giving you that same, that mm -hmm. same reaction. And it's like, Oh, I recognize this. And, and, and the experience is all out up to being able to see different things in a different day in a different, in a different light. Yeah. That, that awareness for me has only come through curiosity, you know, like you, you have to be curious about the process and there's no magic bullet for this stuff, right? There's no silver spoon or there's no magic wand. I remember coming home from a, a Qigong class for, and for anyone who's listening, who doesn't, has never even heard the word maybe before, like it's, it's, tr it's a traditional um, yin based, meaning like softer energetic practice that was often used prior to warming up for martial arts um, in, in Taoist culture. So it's a, 
that's a gross oversimplification. I need to put that little asterisk there. But like, you know, if you if you if you've seen people, you know, doing Tai Chi, for example, it's a similar experience. It's a similar practice. Tai Chi actually has direct martial martial arts applications, um, and some Qigong does too. But anyway, it's a softer energy art practice. And I remember coming home from a class one day, and I would go straight from work to class, and then I didn't eat dinner until like nine o'clock on those nights. And I stopped at the grocery store and I picked up a slice of pizza and a salad and I got home and I looked at both of them on the table and I checked in with my body and I was like, okay, I know I should eat that salad first, <laughs> but the brain was like, that pizza looks way better. Right. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm energized, I'm amped up and I took a bite of pizza and I started chewing and I swallowed. The only way I can describe it is like someone grabbed my volume knob and just turned it from like a 10 to a two. And I could just feel my energy levels drop, you know? And so with little bits of curiosity like that, little bits of awareness, you start to create this kind of, I don't want to call it a data bank because it sounds cumulative. And I think that that leads us to believe that we can think our way or systemize our way in order to health and well-being completely. And I don't think that's the case. But it's this little data bank that allows us to learn about ourselves and to, to, to start to receive and understand the signals of the body. And that's really what the body is, right? It's an antenna. It's constantly receiving signals from the environment around us. And it's why if you disappear into nature and you're in a super wild landscape, oftentimes you're overrun with feelings of bliss and calm. And it's because you are receiving signals from the environment, you know, whereas if you're walking downtown city street in a 24 hour city, like in New York or San Francisco, your nervous system stimulated, you're receiving a whole bunch of different data inputs, right? And so it's not that either one is good or bad. It's about having an understanding of how they're impacting us. And that's what those energy arts practices did for me. And ultimately that built the awareness to say, okay, well, what if I changed this particular input in hopes of experimenting to get a different output, you know? Um, so it, it became it became this kind of giant math equation at that time in my life, at least, right? Because I needed everything I could in order to stay sober. And it didn't mean I was not compulsive. You know, that's another word that I think is kind of synonymous with addiction. People might not identify as addicts, but I would encourage them to look at like, what are the compulsive habits and tendencies in their life? Do they eat when they're emotional? Do they over, are they, you know, do they over consume media? Are they on social media all day? Or do they binge watch YouTube videos? Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we all have these compulsions, you know, right. and becoming aware of them is the first step in liberating ourselves from them. Have you ever, um, my wife and I, well, she got me into it, but um, we're into grounding, barefoot living, things like we try to barefoot live as much as possible at the, our current location where we're at. It's tough, but uh, grounding and getting out barefoot. Have you ever uh, gone down any of that paths in, in trying to connect with nature anymore? Um, I've seen a, a, a very significant difference both in my physical well-being and um my when i spend a lot of time barefoot i really feel more in tune with nature and and can pick up more signals from it mm -hmm. yeah i i have not gotten i mean i certainly go barefoot as often as i can 
Right. I haven't gotten deep into the science, you know, and the whole like biohacking space mm -hmm. because there's part of it that feels um, how would I describe it? There's part of me that feels like it almost miss, misses the mark, right? Like I'm all for science and understanding, but I'm not for overriding body awareness and intuition with science, you know? I, I don't, I don't know this. I mean, I do know the science behind it, but I've, I've, um, I've experienced it on a, a physical level, different things. Um, and I don't need any science to explain it. Right. Um, it's just, and that, it's, yeah, that's, well, I was just going to say that that's exactly, that's kind of my stance on it. You know, uh, when people try and, when people have those conversations with me around the science, I'm interested, but I'm not like, it's never going to override my own practice of self-awareness. Right. Um, oh, right. Right. And, and so I would, I would encourage people to just start this experimentation process. You know, like if you've never, if you've never done grounding, implement it as a practice, you right. know, if you've never, um, experience with making changes to your diet, just start experimenting. If you aren't, you know, if you're, if you're like, oh, this whole, you know, like the, the blue light blocking glasses, for example, you know, if you find yourself in front of the TV late at night or with the lights on in the house late at night, run an experiment, you know, turn them off for the next week when the sun goes down. Like, that's one thing that I love about being in nature is that it, it so strongly encourages you to get back into rhythm with natural, with the earth, you know, to, yeah. to, be, to be around the fire after dark. There's something primal about that. Like that's in our DNA, but to watch a sunset or to watch a sunrise, to be present in those moments of transition when the environment is changing. And then to understand like my body is changing in response to the environment. That's pure gold. Well, the, anybody that's gone on a road trip and has driven through sunset or f driven overnight and into dawn knows you can be wide awake going into sunrise and that dusk light will put you to sleep like that. And that changing light at, at dusk and dawn, those will put you to sleep. And it's your body's natural reaction to that shift from day to night that it says, go to sleep. It's just, yeah. I, I have a goal in my life to be at a point where I don't need, I don't have appointments and I don't need to look at a calendar and I don't need to have a clock and I can live my life according to when the sun comes up and goes down is when I get up and go to sleep. And then when I'm tired, I'm awake or tired, I go to sleep. And when I'm, I'm not tired, I'm awake, but without external stimuli to to change that yeah you you have a an admirable stance right just the whole acronym of lots um and i have certainly spent my time in day and age uh with the same goal right i mean for for years and years growing up all i wanted to do was get a plot of land and and get out right <laughs> And I remember it was just one of those kind of pivotal conversations or remarks that 
sticks with you for a long time. I remember talking about this with my dad and he said, he goes, it's fine. Like I support you. If that's the life you want to live, then, then go live it. Um, but he said, you, you talk so much about how the system is broken. So does that mean that you're going to leave the rest of us here to suffer in this broken system? And then it was just dead silence, you know, <laughs> kind of cat got your tongue moment. And so I've, I've been in some ways kind of forced to challenge that perspective because I think there's a lot of, it's easy to romanticize that life. At least it was for me. And then when you get into the, the real work of homesteading, I think there's a lot of people out there who would rather have their modern day conveniences. Oh, you know? absolutely. Um, I, so my journey started, um, so we were in the suburbs of Minneapolis in, oh, it was 2012, I think is when we decided that we were going to buy a farm and get out because I, I didn't like the changes that I saw going on around me. And I felt that every bit of energy that I could have been putting into anything to improve the area around me was better served building my self-sufficiency and my self-reliance on a piece of land. And so we spent a year and looked for a property. We found an old farm, we bought it uh, and spent seven years uh, insulating myself from having to deal with anything I didn't want to. Um, when COVID rolled around and, um, and grocery stores, I, didn't, I, I am a very scientific person. I, I understand a lot of, of science that people just don't won't dig into, don't want to dig into. Um, and so I don't agree with certain things that were said and, and things that were done. Um, but it was okay because I didn't have to go to the fucking store. Because I had, I had seven deep freezers full of meat and I had a Greek garden in my kitchen. So I didn't have to go to the store. I didn't have to... I didn't have to do anything I didn't agree with. I didn't have to comply with anyone else's thoughts. I just insulated myself from that. Um, and it was to a point where it, it was, if it came down to get a shot or lose your job, I put myself in a position where I said, well, I'm not, I'm not doing something to keep my job. So yeah, no. And the look on people's faces when I would tell them that they were, they thought I was bluffing until the day came that I said, no, I'm, I wouldn't do it when we had the big HR meeting. And I, I said, no. And they're like, okay, well, if we have to, then you'll have to be terminated. I said, okay, fine. We didn't end up being mandated to do anything, which is fine. But having those points that you're not willing to cross and being able to put yourself in a position to be able to stand those lines, I think is a very important thing to do. And I think when you don't provide for yourself and when you don't you don't have have systems in place to take care of yourself you are at the whim of other people and anything that they want you to do or comply to you have to because they just take take access to food water electricity or heat in minnesota or anything away from somebody and they're going to do whatever they ask them to whether it's something i agree with or don't agree with is the right thing the wrong thing or in between um, I live my life and I'm a sovereign human being and I'll make those decisions. So that's what I had to do for myself. And that's, that's kind of how my journey started. And to, to answer your father's point, if you don't like the system, change your world, I'm changing my world. 
you change your world. It brings up an interesting discussion about natural law, right? And interconnectedness. It brings up an interesting point of view, right? In the sense of the parallels between as a species, we don't need to follow the, we don't need to follow natural law. We can farm the way we want to farm. We can extract quote unquote natural resources the way that we want to X, Y, Z. We can, we can treat and use the earth in these ways without consequence. And, and we see the result of that. And I think there's a, there's a really fine line between you use that word sovereignty and collective responsibility, you know, and I spent a lot of time again, earlier in life thinking, well, I want to also insulate myself. I just want to, I'd want to do the whole rugged individualism thing. And as a deeply introverted and introspective person, there are times where that is exactly what I need for my health and well-being. But I've also done enough introversion and, and uh, solo time to know that it can also be there can also be a void when you go that far in that direction. And so that those experiences force me to think about, well, what's responsibility what's my what's my responsibility to the collective you know and now i find myself trying to walk that line and dance that dance of yin and yang right uh because both are true and i think it's a matter of context and to to understand when appropriate action is called for and when not is again, it comes, it comes, comes back to the conversation about awareness, you know? And so there's, there's absolutely nothing. Everybody has their right to choice. And I don't oh, think absolutely. they're single. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an anarchist, dude. I, uh, I, I absolutely, <laughs> uh, you, you were talking about, um, uh, kind of, uh, uh, blackballing Western medicine and, and that earlier. And I was just like, I wanted to be like, Dude, uh, I, I, you can you can stand on your head and and put pinwheels in your butthole. I don't give a shit about you, um, as long as it's not hurting me or uh, or anybody that I care for. <laughs> just go ahead, yeah, just don't steal my shit, man. <laughs> it's a uh, it, it's an it's an interesting space to be in because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of romanticism around that kind of like off the grid life or or the current present day right van life. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's another opportunity. It's another example, right? And it's not to say that anything is wrong with any of this stuff, but it begs the question about self-awareness and compulsive action. You know, and if if we don't have the self-awareness to understand when we're being compulsive, then we don't have the awareness, we don't have the foundational skills to understand what appropriate action is or what it looks like. And that I think is a really, it's a tricky place to be because it, again, it requires that we turn inward and we start to ask questions about ourselves and build awareness about this body, mind, emotions, and energies that are not convenient to ask or pursue the answers to. 
it's much more convenient to just go to work, collect a paycheck, Netflix and chill. And I know for me through personal experience, that life doesn't bring me joy or meaning or purpose or it's not fulfilling for me. And so you might say so we're, that- we're, we're actually we're actually doing the same thing. So you you were saying um, so I was talking about isolating, being sovereign um, and not 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 isolating as in like a hermit. But I isolate to people that provide value to me, uh, people that can provide meat to me, knowledge to me in trade, whatever, um, giving providing the things I need. Um, but one thing I'm doing, and we're talking about um, um, responsibility to the collective, is I'm showing a path and I'm highlighting a path to do it right, to not strip mine, to not factory farm, to not do that. Um, my community is filled with people that are doing it right with pasture raised meat um, and, and doing things the way nature intended uh, that are healthy for the earth. And I think my responsibility to the collective is more than fulfilled by the fact that I feature that through my podcast, through my actions and through anything I do. I think we're on two different paths um, and and we're both fulfilling any uh, perceived um, responsibility to anybody. Yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily disagreeing right or saying i mean there's there's absolutely like we're, we're screaming at the same moon but maybe from different sides right um i'm only trying to to dig a little deeper in this this topic about holistic awareness right wholeness about life so like for example you were just i mean i heard everything you said but you were just cutting out a little bit there oh i'm sorry and, and my no it's good because my mind wandered off to Oh yeah, he said he's on Starlink internet, so that'll happen from time to time. And then, and then I'm listening to you and also thinking about the parallels, right? About collective responsibility. And so you're you're out there, you're on Starlink internet, you're sharing this message, you know, you're doing this work continuously, and Starlink is in part enabling you to share. I mean, largely enabling you to share the message. But uh, then, yes and no. Uh, I, I have several forms of. <laughs> right but but in terms of like this call here specifically oh this right? call this specific about, call yeah like if you think about the um space junk concern right and if if starlink scales to the point that that they want to scale all of the satellites that are going to be in low earth orbit and what that's going to do in terms of light pollution and space travel and you know the impact that it's going to have on migratory animals like all the stuff that's already documented as well again i'm not trying to say any either one is good or bad that's not the point that i'm trying to make it's just about, again about this holistic awareness and understanding right right having having the awareness of going through the i think i think if you go through the mental calculations and if i if i chose not to put my message out via starlink or verizon or, or whoever is not whoever is not in line. It's the same thing with uh, boycotting companies that I don't agree with. I just don't do it. I don't pay attention. First of all, I don't pay attention enough to know who I'm supposed to be boycotting or anything. I just buy what I need and use it. Um, but uh, me not using their service um, is is insignificant um, to compared to the benefit of me using it, I think. And I think if we, if we look at that, 
if we look at that even in a in a agricultural sense in anything of that nature i think if you make that calculation there are things that you have to do that aren't necessarily in line with um everything 100 that you need to do but having that awareness like you said is very important to make those calculations and make those decisions yeah and and i would i would add to that there's also more data to be included in the calculation than just intellectual thought right oh yeah and um to explore what does it mean you know how do emotions play an impact in this how does my physical body or the physical environment play an impact in this um though it's it's more of like um for me it shifts the conversation away from intellect and into experience you know i don't disagree with you that uh that your use of starlink isn't appropriate i mean i think it's it's great like it enables this type of stuff we live in a a world that probably no one has ever lived in before like our species <laughs> the amount of convenience human luxury accessibility by and large on a global scale is is profoundly uh, amazing to think about and at the same time there's you know this is kind of the quintessential like there's always two sides of the same coin mm -hmm. but it also begs the question is there more than just this kind of dualistic paradigm you know good bad black white hot cold uh and and that's a space that i'm really interested in exploring right how does it what does it mean to be able to not only pursue self-development but also pursue the furthering of the collective development and not have those things be mutually exclusive but rather to have them be a collective experience that is mutually beneficial it's just an interesting conversation or question that I find myself thinking about a lot. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think, I think we, I think we're both, I think our collectives are different. I, I, I like to put energy where energy is being accepted. And I think I focus on people that are reaching and thirsting for the information and the path to do something sustainable for themselves and learn, um, learn those techniques. And I focus my energy on that. Um, and I think that's my collective. Um, it feels, I, I don't, I don't know. It, and that's my personal, that's my personal story. And that's, and that's where I'm going. And I think we need to find that. And I think if you put your energy towards that and energy towards people that are ready to accept your message or listen to you, it only multiplies and if you're if you're trying to spread a message to someone that isn't willing or ready to accept um, even the conversation, uh, I don't need anybody to agree with me. I just like to have conversations and I don't need to agree with them. I just like hearing what they have to say and trying to understand them. <laughs> but. And if you put your energy towards someone willing to accept it, it only multiplies. And if you put your energy towards people that are only there you're 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 beat you're you're the beating your head against the wall um so that's i find people in my space and i try to push them forward and i think i think you're doing a great job of that too seeking out people that are in line with your values and 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 creating that awareness for them in the realm that you're at appreciate it
So, yeah, I mean, it's it is we're just we're we're two similar people walking very uh, parallel different paths, and it's cool and it's it's great that um, we can have this conversation. Uh, we're totally different, man. Like I'm not gonna lie, um, we're 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 totally different ball fields, and and I've really enjoyed having the chat with you. Um, if you want to take, you know, five five minutes, um, kind of throw out what you got going on, what you got coming up, or if people wanted to hear more um, about uh, how to reach you, uh, the, the floor is yours. And then uh, if you have any other things you want to close with, um, take it away. And, and when you're done, you're done, man. I appreciate it. Um, well, I think we can keep it short. Uh, everything that is within my ecosystem, you can pretty much find online at www.reviveyouandi.com. It's the word revive, the letter U and I.com. Uh, that's kind of a one-stop shop for all things me. So you can find the book there. Um, you can subscribe to the newsletter. You can get a free sample of the book if you're curious. If you want to find me on social, it's the same handle at revive you and I. Uh, my consulting, or I shouldn't say my, our consulting website is stillpointinsight.com, um, which you can, I mean, it'll, if you go to Revive You and I, it'll link you over there. Um, so check out the book, shoot me a note, listen to some other podcasts I've been on if you're curious. Um, more importantly, thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your energy. Um, and in terms of, you know, if I could leave anybody with a final message, it would just be this notion that saving yourself is the greatest gift that you can give the world and exploring that concept. And what does that, what does that mean? Getting curious about self-discovery is something that I think all of us are going to benefit from in the end. Nice. That's well said, man. That's well said. I appreciate you coming on. Um, and uh, if uh, you'd hang out for a minute, I'm going to I'll close things up and we'll catch up for a second and uh, we'll wrap it up. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for being here, Ian. Appreciate it. All right. That was Ian Williams. And uh, what a what an interesting what an interesting chat. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can find all his stuff at revive the website is in the video notes. It's in the audio notes. I appreciate him coming on and having the chat with me. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others. If you can find it at thelotsproject.com or on Noster, Telegram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Rumble, and Instagram. Be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcasts, 2.0 Value for Value podcast players like Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great night, guys, and we'll see you in the morning. Yeah.